I think that HR in general loves to overstructure things. Of course, some of, some of the structures and a bit of structure is okay, but I would say keep things short and, uh, and simple. And I also believe that the stronger a culture is, the less structure you need. So I would always say put culture above structure. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of All About HR. My name is Nelly, I'm your host, and on today's episode, I talk to Crystal Moot. Crystal is a Chief People Officer and she is the co-founder of People Masterminds. And we are going to talk about a topic that I am super excited about, namely HR in fast-growing environments such as startups and scale-ups. Now, I know that a lot of people in the AAHR community are very interested in this topic, so we are going to get started right away. Before we do so, however, as always, don't forget to subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell and like this video. another episode of All About HR. Let me start first, of course, Crystal, by welcoming you to the show. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm doing really well. I'm in Spain at the moment on holiday. So yeah. I know. I know. Best place you can be at the moment. <laughs> yes, I think so too. Um, Crystal, before we really dive into today's topic, perhaps, perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about yourself and about what you're doing at People Masterminds. Yes. So um, I used to work as a chief people officer or head of people people in uh, in several scale-ups. I used to work as a chief of people officer at uh, Binder, a marketing tech scale-up in Amsterdam. And after that, I joined uh, Tony's Chocolonely. And while I was at Tony's, Evelise, my co-founder, and I decided to, uh, to start a podcast to share more about, okay, how can you set up HR in a, in a fast-growing environment? And um, already after the first episode, we got so many requests from companies and could you help us with that? And could you advise us on culture or leadership or um, performance management? So we thought, okay, there's actually a business model uh, in here. So after a couple of years at Tony's, I decided to, uh, to, uh, to start my own business together with, uh, with Evelise. Um, we're now with six consultants. And what we do is we um, support scale-ups with their people and culture strategy um, so that's in in short what i'm doing at the moment which is great to meet so many yeah great entrepreneurs and, and founders and work on so many different topics in a lot of different scale-ups definitely i can imagine it must be such an exciting environment to be working in that's also why i'm so happy that we uh, that we are going to be able to have a chat about that today and as i mentioned in the intro briefly as well i know that there are quite a few people within our uh, our own community here at the academy to innovate hr that have a lot of questions about hr in uh, in scale-ups for instance so um yeah that's what we're going to be talking about now, let me start, Crystal, by, okay, every scale-up, of course, is, is different, but um, you've yeah. been able to work with um, various different companies, as you said, in various different industries as well. What are, in your opinion, some of the key pillars to, to build a solid people and culture, culture strategy on? Well, first, you need to understand the company well and know where the organization is going. So what's the vision? What's the mission? What's the, what's the purpose of the company? And um, yeah, then you need to know what is the company's strategy? What are the plans for growth? What are the current challenges? Um, but also the challenges that the company expects to, to face in the near future. So you must have a good understanding about that. And once you understand this, um, you can start building a people and culture strategy completely aligned with the organization. 
and, and yeah, besides people and culture strategy is only going to work, of course, if there's a genuine belief in the importance of it. So support from mm. leadership and yeah, more importantly, that they promoted themselves. Yeah, it's extremely important to build a solid people and culture strategy on. Yeah. And I mean, you were uh, a chief people officer yourself in different uh, scale ups. What were some of the main challenges for, for HR in, in, in these types of companies that, that you also encountered? Well, when you come in, there's always a backlog to catch up with. And in addition, you need to keep up with today's businesses. Um, and you need to make sure that you're preparing for the future. And people quite underestimate it. So a lot of people are also in the HR field are interested to work in, uh, in, in a scale-up environment. And it looks fun and it is a lot of fun, but it's also hard work. Because in many scale-ups, there's not always much in place yet. So there are often you know, operational issues on your plate while you also need to have strong strategic skills. And the challenge is in general not to get caught up in all those daily issues. Yeah, another thing is that HR can be quite busy with a lot of individual actions and, and projects like building a salary structure, organizing a seminar around well-being, um, setting up performance management, etc. And that's not bad in itself, of course, and important, but everything it should click together and fit the culture. Mm. And start building that culture foundation first um, is super important and, and then prioritize your, your projects and actions. So I would say that are a couple of the main challenges you will face when you join a, a fast-growing organization. Yeah. yeah, I have the feeling that those are just a few of the of the challenges uh, that, that, that exist. Yes. <laughs> um, now, you briefly touched on this Absolutely. Uh, already, but like, how do you then balance this, this, this paradox of, on the one hand, trying to bring structure and get processes in place, while at the same time, I'm also not losing that entrepreneurial spirit that that exists within uh, within a scale up. Yeah, that's an important question, and a lot of people wonder how to how to do this. So first, I I don't believe that HR is there to bring structure and control, especially not control. We're not the police, or at least we shouldn't be the police. And I really think that we should help a company move forward, help them to build an amazing culture. Um, attract great people and we need to make sure that those people can make yeah, an incredible valuable contribution to the organization um, while they're working with us and of course we need to make sure that once they leave they look back and think oh yeah this is like one of the best work experiences i uh, i ever had and when it comes to uh, to structure i think that hr in general loves to overstructure things mm. like expense policies job descriptions, remote working policies, super extensive handbooks. And um, of course, some of, some of the structures and a bit of structure is okay, but I would say keep things short and, uh, and simple. And I also believe that the stronger a culture is, the less structure you need. So I would always say put culture above structure. And what I often say is that I only want to put things in writing if it is to achieve more together, not to avoid mistakes or to prevent people from taking advantage of uh, of something, I always keep that uh, keep that in mind. And sometimes the request for control and structure is also something that managers like to have. Some managers love to have that that structure because if the policy isn't there, they should have the honest conversation with an employee, for example, um, and they can refer to, well, you're not allowed to do this because the handbook says so, for example. So sometimes the request is more based on what managers want to make their life easier mm. than um, wondering if, 
is this really, really necessary to create a policy around it? Yeah, I like what you I like what you said there as well. And and yeah, it's a bit like if if there's too much being um, written up in these uh, handbooks or guidelines, it becomes something that that you can also easily hide behind, right? Uh, rather than, as you beautifully pointed out, having an actual conversation with people in the organization. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's also easy like, instead of thinking for yourself, okay, does this feel reasonable to me? Does this sound reasonable? What do I think that should be fair? And just referring to, to a handbook and before you know your employee handbook is like 200 pages with a lot of rules and regulations and you don't want that, of course, especially not in a scale-up no. No, I don't think that's anything that that's something that you that you should want. Absolutely not. You mentioned the culture a, a couple of times already, Crystal. And I think then if we if I were to ask you for those who are listening um, to today's episode and they are in HR in a scale up themselves right now, what would be some of the non-negotiables for HR in, in any scale up? Non-negotiable for HR, at least for me, is make sure you report directly to the CEO. I used to work with amazing COOs and, and CFOs, but you get more done and faster if there's a direct link between you and the CEO. And it also often says a lot about how important they think the people topic is. So if you're in an HR role, I would say that's the first non-negotiable. Another one is that um, you have to make sure that there are enough people on your team. So often the entire organization is growing fast, but people team is always understaffed. Um, while especially this team plays like a crucial role in getting the right people on board, creating a great onboarding experience. Um, and they have a huge amount of work to do in a growing company. So yeah, having enough, uh, also senior people on your team, that's another non-negotiable. And a third one would be know when to involve people in a decision and when to just make the decision yourself. So. I'm a big believer in involving employees in, uh, in projects, but I also noticed that some managers think they know better um, once it comes to, uh, to HR. Many HR people, including myself, like to involve people in a, in a decision. Yeah, but you are the expert in this field. So also dare to make choices without the approval of yeah, everything and everyone. So know when to involve and when to uh, inform. I would say that's a third non-negotiable. Very nice. Very nice. I, I, I think I, uh, I like all three of these uh, non-negotiables uh, very much. And since now we uh, talked about HR specifically and the HR team, the people team, I think something that's interesting here as well, Crystal, to perhaps talk about for a little bit is what do you believe are some key skills that are important or can come in handy for HR professionals in a scale-up environment? Um, well, do you have minutes? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you must be able to act on all kinds of levels. Like I just said, often there's not a lot in place yet. So you must be able to switch quite quickly between yeah, more operational topics that also come in your plate um, and, and strategy. So one moment you're still busy with basics and the next you're sitting in a board meeting or, or talking to investors. So you need to be aware of that. You also need to understand the business well. So what problems do we solve? What are the challenges? How is the company doing from a financial perspective? So also understand the financial numbers and your analytical sales, understand your, your numbers in an analytical sense. That's also important. And I would say you must have a thick skin. So working with a founder CEO is great. It's often a super visionary 
person, but it can also be quite challenging. So you need to make sure that you're not, you're not a follower, but that you can form your own mm. opinion. That's an important uh, skill as well. And maybe a last one that's not specifically related to, um, um, to a scale-up, but I would say ensure a good balance between the organizational interest and the employee interest. And sometimes HR goes too much to, uh, to one side and then we become or are seen as too soft or, or too hard. So to find that balance yeah. well. Yeah. Nice one. Something I, I actually uh, I spoke about in another podcast uh, episode recently, that sometimes HR can be perceived as being always on the side of the company and therefore against the people in the company. So it's very interesting that you're mentioning this, this balance as well. Yeah. And sometimes HR can also be experienced as too soft. So that's why I also say you need to understand the business as well. So you're, you're here to move the business forward, including the employees that are working there. So you have to balance those mm. both sides. Yeah, so Crystal, I think what's very interesting here is what you mentioned about making sure that you know the business well. And I think from, from your own experience, you worked for scale-ups that, that were in different industries. Binder is doing something very different from Tony's Chocolonely's. Is there maybe something that you can share with our listeners about some of the uh, learnings that you had in, in getting up to speed uh, with these businesses? and what they were doing. Yes, absolutely. So always when I joined a company, I, I talked to a lot of people and not only to the managers, but also uh, a lot of employees to understand okay, what's happening here. What are the challenges? How do people feel and what uh, makes them lie awake at mm. night? So that's always the first thing that I, uh, and that I do. And second, like I just said, I really want to understand the business. So I ask a ton of different questions. So if I'm in a, in a, in a management meeting, everything I don't know, I'll write it down and I figure out later what it is, but I really want to understand, okay, what are we talking mm. about? So the fu fun thing is that a product manager at Binder, a marketing tech company is completely different from a product manager at Tony's Chocolonely. It's about chocolate bars, yeah. right? So it was very funny to to figure out those differences as well. So really ask your questions, write down everything you don't know and try to figure it out later. Yeah, and then so I perhaps I, I, we can say here that it's just super important to ask these questions if you have them, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Slightly moving tag here because, uh, of course, always before we uh, record a new podcast, I like to research a little bit what my guests are talking about, what they have been doing. And so LinkedIn is, is often uh, one of the places to go. And I saw that uh, on your LinkedIn, um, one of the things that you said was like, um, unconventional companies need an unconventional approach. And that was a phrase that really uh, stuck with me. And I thought, okay, that's something interesting to, to, to talk talk about because at the moment we find ourselves in an era that is characterized by change by uncertainty and yeah. so what HR practices um, specifically do you believe require a complete uh, overhaul would that rather be a performance management organizational design or maybe uh, something else entirely uh, or should we stick with some of these what are your thoughts on this well I think we all know by now that some things not necessarily work like a performance review in, in, in December where you get a score for example but I think more importantly is that you have to you create practices that are in line with the organizational culture, not because everyone says that you have to go left or, uh, or right. Everyone says at the moment you need to stop with performance reviews 
well, maybe it works for your organization. Maybe not those conversations in December, but maybe you can do it in a different way that works perfectly fine um, for you. And you need to be aware that what worked, worked or works in company A can be different from uh, like the best solution for company B. So never just copy paste, but always think about, okay, what is our culture? What do we want to achieve and what can help mm. us with that? And if you're asking for like specific practices at the moment, I think we have to look critically to our benefits. That's not just one size fits all. If you look at benefits, the adoption rates are, are super low to use, for example, your Headspace subscription or so. So I think it would be good to give people options that suit their personal situation. Um, and another topic that is quite a lot on the table at the moment is career development. Mm. And I believe that goes much further than getting a promotion or a new job title. And I think we should tell this more often. So there's no career ladder. It's sort of climbing wall, how I always explain mm. it. So, um, it's, it's not just going up, but maybe you can go to the left or the right or, or down for a while. That's perfectly fine. So find your own path, basically. And people say, if I don't get a new job title or if I don't get a promotion, I'm not growing, which is not the case, of course. Because working in a new environment with new products, meeting new people, working in a fast-changing organization like a scale-up, that is actually growth. And you will grow along with the growth of the company. So I think we have to look beyond that promotion and share more about okay, what is growth actually. So just to, uh, to name a few. I really like what you said there about, about growth. And I was, I was imagining this, this climbing uh, wall that you, that you mentioned. I also very much like the analogy there. And this is also something that, that um, we've been talking about before on the, on the podcast as well, that it really is time. And I believe that uh, strongly too, that we um, abandon this idea of the only way of growth uh, is up because that's, that's not the case. Exactly. Um, and I think what's cool yeah. is that there are already some companies, let's say, uh, they don't just offer growth opportunities vertically, but also horizontally, where people that prefer to be uh, a specialist or an expert in one thing or another, that they can completely develop themselves uh, that way. Uh, and it's also uh, seen as a growth and career development rather than just, okay, you need to become a manager and then you need to come. So, yeah, I, uh, that's something that. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. And then the challenge is not to structure everything because a lot of companies ask us, so we need to have career development paths. Why? Why is that so important? I think that you should learn your, or, uh, your team. Okay, we want to support you in a lot, but it's your development. You have to find your own path and we can support you with coaching, with mentoring, with, with training sessions, for example. But find your mm. own path instead of trying to create a limited number of fixed career paths and look beyond that. And I think that's another step that we can take as organizations. Yeah, I think that's a very beautiful one as well, Crystal, because I think there it's totally fine that we give a little bit more responsibility to every single uh, person to find their own path and to try something exactly. and perhaps then realize that it's not for them and they can maybe try something different. Because I think the danger lies uh, when you offer some already completely clear parts that people, they are not going to think beyond those parts. And so they, they're still going to be confined to whatever kind of direction has already been set out for them. Yeah. And it also makes people maybe unconsciously a bit mm. dependent, learn them how to think for themselves. 
I love it. Mm. I, re- I really, I really love it. Oh, fantastic. Yes. So there is uh, something else, Crystal, that I absolutely wanted to talk to you about. And you already mentioned it a little bit at the start of our conversation. It was about not overcomplicating certain things, uh, including documents or processes uh, in HR. And I think there was a really cool example of that. And that was um, something you were working on when you were at Tony's Sugar Lonely. And that was also an unconventional approach, I would say. Um, And that's the one page employment uh, contract. So, um, well, perhaps you can just, you know, tell us a little bit more about that, first of all. Yes. Um, So my sort of fascination around contracts started years ago. So when I joined a startup, I had like a great interview process. There was a super vibrant atmosphere, super enthusiastic, great conversations. So I was very excited to start my role there. Um, and then I received the contract and I still remember it was like 14 or 15 pages, super formal. And I really thought, well, this, it doesn't match the culture at all. At least not what I experienced during the interview process. And it also made me less enthusiastic. So I thought there must be uh, a different way, a contract that reflects the culture and makes people even more enthusiastic to uh, to start and enthous- enthusiastic to to read it and actually also understand what they're reading. So I tried to uh, to find a different solution and a lot of lawyers said, no, that's not possible. You have to avoid risk, et cetera, et cetera. But then I met uh, Daniel Matz and uh, he did something like this in the past for another company. So we created an employment contract on uh, on just one page for Tony's Chocolate Only, and we called it like a ticket of trust. Mm. So don't include all the do's and don'ts, especially the don'ts, but just make it short, easy to understand, and fun to read. Yes, that was really uh, was really fun to do. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the result is also, it is just a pleasure to look at the results. So for everybody listening or watching, I would definitely say uh, check out uh, Crystal's LinkedIn page because there you can find it and you can see uh, what the contract uh, turned out to be like. Perhaps it can be an inspiration uh, to you. That that was my colleague, a very good designer, That mm. not my credits at all. No, but I mean, <laughs> it was a collaboration, right? It was a collaboration and this is the, uh, the final result. But what I find very interesting in what you were saying, Crystal, here is that this shows how many things that we are not necessarily aware of actually have an impact on candidates. Because in this case, for instance, you know, you interview with a company, you're super excited about joining the company because you're going to get a contract from them. And you have this image of how the culture is at the company. And then you get a 15 or 20 page long employment contract. And you can you can see how this then affects the image that you have of the company. Yeah. So we thought there must be a different way Mm -hmm. to do that. But then you need to approach it maybe in a bit of an unconventional way. And a lot of people say, no, it's not going to work like that. But it's actually working really, really well. Yeah. And fun thing is that when we just started with that and we sent it to to, uh, to potential colleagues, they said, oh, this looks great. When do I get my official contract done? So we said, oh. no, this is the contract. And what I was hoping for happened. They were even more excited to uh, to start. So... 
Your one-page employment contract example, Crystal, made me think of a discussion that we had with a with a friend of mine recently about how often HR is an afterthought in startups and scale-ups rather than uh, embedded in the culture immediately, as we've seen here with your example. But at the same time, when uh, companies uh, search for uh, an HR person in a scale-up, it's very difficult to find somebody that can stand up to the challenge of, on the one hand, doing all the operational things and on the other hand be a strong people and culture architect in strategy discussions and in talks with the CEO for instance where do you believe that the uh, issue lies here yeah good question what i what i see now that i'm working for a lot of different companies is that a lot of companies still see hr as a sort of administrative uh, function mm. So sometimes that's still a challenge yeah, and we have an office manager who, uh, who can do this. And once we come in and we talk about HR, we call it people and culture, but HR and, and what it all contains and why culture is so important and what are the elements that need to be in line with your culture, then they say, oh, now I, now I understand it. And also, uh, yeah, I just said we, we shouldn't be the police, but that's how quite a lot of people still experience HR as the police. I know when I joined Binder, back then they had already 200 employees mm. and there was, a, there was a, a, a closet with a paper on it, HR, and if you wanted to complain about something, go sit in the closet. So my introduction was, this is Crystal, she's replacing the closet. <laughs> because they, they, they tried, <laughs> yeah, true story, they tried to delay this as long as possible to get HR on board because their, their perception was, okay, then we're going to hire sort of police is going to say what you can or can do so yeah try to find someone who who looks at your culture who understands hr also from a mo modern perspective and not necessarily about the rules and regulations i just talked about but how can i support you to bring the company uh, forward and also more from a strategic aspect uh, uh, perspective than setting those rules and, and regulations and just seeing it as an administrative function and, and finding people who are capable to do that that can be quite a challenge mm. also to to bring someone on board who can look beyond the daily operational things and really look at hr from a strategic point of view and someone who who wants to understand the business model and i agree that that, that can be quite a challenge to find the right people just coming back, Crystal, uh, to this uh, one page, one page, sorry, employment contract, uh, and you already nicely called it the ticket of trust. Now, I do wonder here, though, that if things do go wrong, what do you do in in that case? Because, and maybe this is something we need to abandon, but in HR, we often have to write, you know, a policy for the two percent that goes wrong, uh, as opposed to the ninety-eight percent that. Uh, goes uh, smoothly so yeah what are what are your thoughts on this yeah trust plays a huge role in, in in this and if things go wrong we fix it but how big is that chance do you want to create complex lengthy lengthy contracts for all employees while there's only like two or three percent chance that things will go mm. wrong and what i often see if things escalate yeah there's often already a lot that has been go wrong in the in yeah, in the previous space so i'm i'm just not afraid that things will go wrong and if you really hire people you believe in and if you do your best to help them grow and develop within the organization if you have those honest conversations and give feedback etc cetera, etc cetera, how big is that chance then so i'm more than willing to uh to to take that risk 
Yeah, and I think, again, this is such a good point here because we will never be able to fully cover every single possibility of something that might go wrong into one direction or another. That's not possible anyway. So perhaps we can just, you know save ourselves a lot of time and energy trying to do that and just uh, creating something that is fully aligned with our culture and the kind of environment that we want to create within our company right exactly and even if your contract has like 20 pages you will still have those situations once in a while that you need to solve i mean it doesn't avoid it at all no 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 exactly and it's the same like i just said about uh, career development etc i want to have a discussion with my team Hey, what do you think? What should be fair here? What would be a best solution instead of just referring to a contract with all the do's and don'ts? That's more important for me um, to have that, yeah, that, that open conversation. Absolutely. Now, Crystal, we are now uh, getting to uh, one of my favorite parts of the podcast. And so this is the part where I always ask my guests. Um, well, the first thing I ask them is what they believe is the biggest cliche out there that exists about HR. So let me start by that one. Yeah, I thought about it. And the first thing that came to mind is that I think that HR is full of cliches itself mm. and, and statements we, we often use, sometimes because everyone else is using them uh, is using them too. We even created a podcast about it a couple of months ago, like we're saying things like people are your most important mm. asset. Um, and I believe people are not your assets, so be happy if they want to work for you and want to come back tomorrow. An asset is referring to something you own, so I always hate that, that sentence. And uh, another thing is that we always talk about the war for talent. Mm. I don't like that. It refers to like external influences and that you as a company can't find good people because other companies want them too, and you can't help it. And it also makes you a bit dependent. But at Tony's, we got like hundreds of applications per week. And of course, you will think, yeah, that's easy. You sell chocolate. Of course, that's correct. But even when I worked as a chief people officer at Binder, we never had issues with finding great talent because we we made sure that we continuously distinguished ourselves from, from others. You could work with the latest tech stack. Um, you got a lot of flexibility. We had unlimited holidays, which was a big thing um, back then, not anymore, but I think it was 2016 or so. Mm. It was a very innovative in the Netherlands. We shared a lot about our culture. So you have to take control yourself. So sometimes as HR, we're just saying these kind of things because everybody is saying it, but is it true or not? Maybe a bit of a cliche. Sometimes cliches are true, but not always. I like that perspective on it. Thank you for, for sharing that. And also, I mean, I think people, if they if they want to hear more about cliches and HR, they should definitely check out that podcast episode that you, that you mentioned uh, there. And then there's one other thing that I wanted to ask you about, Crystal, and is um, about sharing an epic win and an epic fail. Now, we've had all sorts of epic wins and, and fails already uh, on the podcast, so it can be anything that you, that you feel comfortable enough um, to share about. My biggest lesson learned is that you have to make sure that your team is senior enough, especially if you go through a high growth. And um, sometimes I've just hired two junior people or let people on my team stay on board too long because I wanted to 
give them a chance to prove themselves, for example, which is good. But sometimes you just need people who already know the drill and there's just no time to learn it because that growth goes so fast. So a team that is too junior, it sort of gets in the way of your own success because you stay much too involved with the operation and you should focus more on the strategic uh, challenges. So that's a big lesson learned uh, Mm. for me. And an epic win. Yeah, we talked about the one-page contract. I'm pretty proud of that. Not necessarily because of that contract, which was great as well. And and we got a lot of positive feedback uh, on it. But mainly because so many people and organizations decided to create a one-page for their company as well. So I still remember that my LinkedIn exploded after I posted Tony's contract. And it's, it's amazing to see that others share that belief that even a contract should match your uh, your culture and that so many companies follow this idea. So I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, and I think you should. You should. I mean, this has clearly just been such an inspiration, like literally been such an inspiration for, for a lot of other people and, and companies. So that's a beautiful one. Thank you for sharing. And also... You're welcome. That brings us to the end of uh, our episode of our conversation. So uh, another big thank you for making this happen, even while you're on vacation at the moment. So thank you very much for joining me. Yes, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked this episode, you know what to do. Subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell and share this episode with a friend. And then I hope to see you very soon again for a new episode of All About HR. Thank you and goodbye.